So we've been in a series that really is just exactly about that. How do we live this life that God wants us to live? How do we, how do we become the believers? How, how do we live out this faith that we have? And um, today, believe it or not, we are going to finish the book of 2 Peter. I know, it's pretty crazy, right? It's like, uh, this is week 11, by the way, if you're counting. It's a four-chapter book. Um, but Peter, as we talked about, is, is telling us about his hope before he dies. This is his last letter, and today we're going to read his last words. You can imagine that they're probably pretty packed. When I was a child, I've told you guys, I absolutely love Superman. I loved Superman. I told you about the story where I tried to fly off the bunk bed. You remember that? And I hit my head, and I had to have stitches and all those things, and that still didn't deter me. I still believed I could fly after that. I just had a bad day. But here's what I loved about Superman. When I was a child, there was a lot of times when I felt really vulnerable, when I felt really afraid. I can remember as a child when a storm would come in and the lightning would start striking and the thunder would start coming in. I would just run to my parents' bed and just dive in and hide under the covers. And so then they told me at one point, well, you can't keep doing that. You can't keep running into the jumping in the bed in the middle of the night and hiding. Okay, great. So then what I would do is I'd run and I'd jump under their bed. And they'd wake up and they'd find me under the bed. And I can still remember as a child the fear I had of going down that hallway with the lightning and the, the darkness and their room was down and to the right. And I, I would look out the door and I was like, okay, I got to go before that lightning strikes. And I mean, I was terrified. But what I loved about Superman, he's invincible. He ain't afraid of no lightning. Superman's got it going on. He is totally invincible. If in case you don't know, let me just tell you a little bit about Superman. He was born on the planet Krypton. He was given the name Kyle at birth as a baby. His parents, now this is all makeup. I don't believe, okay, I got it. Okay. As a baby, his parents sent him to Earth in a small spaceship moments before Krypton was destroyed by a natural explosion. His ship landed in the American countryside near the fictional town of Smallville. He was found and adopted by farmers Jonathan and Martha Kent who decided to name him Clark Kent. Now, Clark had these really weird superhuman abilities because he hadn't come from the earth. He'd come from somewhere else, and he had these powers that people on the earth didn't have. He had incredible strength, and he had this, like, impervious skin. Nothing could hit him. Nothing could bother him. Wherever he went, he was just like, I'm Superman. You can't bother me. His foster parents advised him that he should use these powers for good, that he should use them to benefit humanity. So he decided to fight crime as a vigilante. Superman. He was Superman. <laughs> he wasn't afraid of anything. Nothing could touch him. When he went somewhere, he had no fear. He knew he was invincible except for that whole kryptonite thing. And I loved in Superman when the world's freaking out. Helicopters are flying around. The police are running around. They don't know what to do. Everybody's freaking out. And this mild-mannered Clark Kent with his glasses, hiding behind his glasses, he kind of goes into a phone booth or goes in somewhere, and he comes out, and he's Superman. He's a superhero. He was so cool, so invincible. I wanted to be like him. He wasn't afraid of anything, and I wanted to live like that. I wanted to go places and not be afraid. I wanted to be able to put on my super suit and use my powers from other places and know that nothing could touch me. To know that I was from somewhere else and could not be held back by this world. What would it be like to be clothed like Superman? To go everywhere and be unafraid, invincible, and know that you got it going on. Last week, Peter reminded us that everything we see, the earth, everything, everything you've ever experienced is going to burn up one day. Crazy, right? I mean, global warming, it's going to happen. Everything is going to burn up. It's as sure as everything else in the Bible. The universe, solar system, Grand Canyon, your front yard, this place, it's all going to burn up. And we said last week, how could God do that? Doesn't he know how important that is to us? 
And God looks back at us and says, don't you know how important you are to me? You see, if you're not here to experience it, none of this stuff matters. I created the Grand Canyon because I love you and I want you to experience it. Because I think in some ways it reminds you of me. I created the stars in the universe so you can look up at night and have light and realize that, that I'm bigger than you are. But if you're not here to experience it, none of this matters, I'll just make another one. And we talked last week about how he loves us far more than anything he's ever created. In fact, there's something else that I want you to think about today that I could almost promise you, you never really spent a lot of time thinking about. Do you know that you're going to outlive the universe? Let that soak in for a minute. You are going to outlive the universe. You will see it go up in flames. You will be here long after everything you've ever known and experienced is gone. You will outlive Mars. You're going to outlive Mount Everest, the Grand Canyon, and every galaxy that you have ever seen. You're an eternal being. You surrendered to Jesus Christ. You were reborn spiritually. You're not of this world anymore. In fact, you and I are going to watch it happen. One day, Jesus will return. And he tells us, following the millennial kingdom, there'll be a day when God will finally judge the world and put everything through the refining fire. He'll test everything. As far as we can tell from God's word, the elements of this world will not cease. They'll just be dissolved by heat and utterly melt away. I love the way Charles Spurgeon says it. He says this, This world, so far as we know, will not cease to be. It will pass through the purifying flame, and then it may be the soft, gentle breath of the almighty love that will blow upon it and cool it rapidly, and the divine hand will shape it as it cools into a paradise far more fair. You see, God's going to take this universe that has been under the weight of sin, and one day he's going to destroy it. And then just like he did originally, he's going to go back in and he's going to recreate a new heaven and a new earth. We get to see that too. If you think this world is incredible, just wait for the next one. This world is being corroded and polluted by the impact of sin. We've never really experienced a place with pure water and pure air, free of disease. And I believe in this universe, God's just warming up. No pun intended. He says, I have a world for you you can't imagine. I have a place for you that, oh my, all you've ever experienced is fallen under the weight of sin. Wait until you live where people don't have sin. Wait till you live the way Adam and Eve lived for a while. Wait until you see what a true world lives. I created this, you're thousands of years into it, and it's deteriorating. If you could actually see the colors the way they're supposed to be, if you could actually breathe the air you're supposed to breathe, just wait, you won't believe what I have for you. You and I are going to see the glory of God fully manifested. We'll see what John saw. We're going to outlive everything we've ever known. That's crazy when you think about it. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they'd done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eye and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. 
And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God says, look, I'm creating a new world. Why? Because I created a new you. You don't belong here. You're here on a mission. This is not your home. So with that image in mind, Peter begins to close his last letter to us. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? See, Peter's asking the question that we should be asking ourselves every day. Based on what we know about our future, based on what we know about the world, based on what we know about the promises of God and the faithfulness of God, how should we be living right now? What should we value? Where should we be making our investments? What should we be storing up? How should we think about our time here on earth? Where is our home? If we will outlive the destruction of the universe, what do we have to be afraid of? What do we have to worry about? Jesus came here to earth on a mission. He clearly knew where his home was. He clearly knew his time on earth was short, that he was here for a very specific purpose that he was here for an eternal purpose, that his time here on earth really had little to do with earth and everything to do about the new earth and the new heaven. Everywhere Jesus went, he walked in victory. He wasn't afraid of anything. He knew that nothing on earth could really hurt him or truly harm him. He knew that his earthly body was just this temporary earth suit that he had for his soul. And this temporary body was going to house him, but it didn't define him. And yes, they can hurt his body. Yes, they can kill his body, but they can't touch his soul. You see, because he's eternal, he's from somewhere else. He has powers that he's brought from heaven to earth. Wearing this earth suit. And he held tightly to only one thing. The only one thing you can take with you that survives the refining fire. Your relationships with each other. That's where he made his investment. That's where he poured his relationship time. That's what he had. He said, look, don't store up yourself things in heaven. You know, don't store up yourself things on earth that are going to burn up. He invested in people. He invested in potential. Why? Because that's the only thing that really matters. How do you know that? Because when it's your time to leave your earth suit and go home, it's the people that matter most to you. It's the people. It's the relationships. It's not what you own. It's not how much money you have. It's not what kind of job you had. It's people. You see, we struggle because we don't embrace how special we are in God's eyes. I said that last week. We don't understand how much he loves us. We don't understand that he created all this for us, and if we're not here to appreciate it, it means nothing to God. Because we bear his image. Nothing else he created bears his image. We don't fully comprehend the value that he places on those who bear his image. We don't grasp the depth of his love for us. Peter's asking, if Jesus knew all these things, and we're his followers, we're his disciples, we're his Talmudim, we're supposed to be just like him. And we all know these things. Why is our experience on earth so different than his? Jesus never worried about anything. I'm going to the cross tomorrow. Let's talk about right now, that's tomorrow. 
He lived in the moment. He went from moment to moment, and his entire focus was on heavenly things. He did what the Father told him to do in the moment, and then he went to another moment and did what the Father told him to do. And yes, there'd be a moment down the line that he'd be on a cross, but that's not the moment right now. He's in this moment trying to help Peter, telling him, look, don't let your faith fail. When the last thing I would be thinking about, I think, if I was going to be crucified tomorrow is worrying about whether your faith fails. I'm sorry. I'm too human. But after I pray a little bit, that's where I'd be. And that's where Jesus lived his whole life. So we have to ask the question, why aren't his followers walking in the truth they claim to know? You see, we don't seem to grasp the truth that we're reborn as eternal spiritual beings. I say this all the time. We are spiritual beings reborn in Christ. Eternal beings. We are spiritual beings having a human experience on a mission. That's so critical to understand. We're living on earth, but our true home is in heaven. God has allowed us to remain on earth for one reason and one reason only. He has a mission for us here. There's something that we are to do here. We're these heavenly beings, reborn spiritually, children of God. Our home is in heaven. We're wearing this earth suit. It's going to wear out one day. And we're going to use it until God tells us our mission here is done. Then we'll leave our earth suit. We'll go home. It's that simple. Peter tells us, look, we're waiting. Yes, this world will burn up. And yes, we're going to watch it. But Peter says, that's not what we're really waiting for. Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Notice that we're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth. Just think about that for a minute. Brand spanking new. Everything. Imagine the first moment of that experience. And then imagine that those moments will never end. I mean, imagine. When I say imagine, I really mean it. We are going to take first steps into a new world. We'll be there. We're eternal. This isn't some pie-in-the-sky idea. This is our future. It's a day on your calendar. Go ahead and write it down. Don't put a year on it, but on one day, at some point, we're all going to be in a new heaven and a new earth, and everything that we know now is going to be gone, and we're not going to remember it, at least not the earth part. So Peter tells us, a new earth, a new heaven. But not just any new earth. Look at what he says. A new earth in which righteousness dwells. Whoa. That's different. That's incredible. People says it'll be a place where righteousness dwells. Isn't that great? Aren't you excited? You may be thinking, that sounds great. I guess that's great, but what does that mean? I mean, it's scripture. I'm in church. I'm supposed to be excited about it. But what does that exactly mean? Dictionaries define righteousness as a behavior that's morally justifiable or right. Such behavior is characterized by accepted standards of morality and justice and virtue and uprightness. The Bible standard is it's a place where God's perfection dwells. It's a place where everything of God is perfect. Everything you see is perfect. Not your standard of perfect, God's standard of perfect. In the broadest sense, righteousness can be defined as the condition being acceptable to God and made possible by God. God's standard is what defines it. His power is what enables it. Unless God is the author, we will never experience true righteousness. No amount of man-made effort can make you righteous. To be righteous means to be right with God in every way. Nothing hidden. No unspoken issue, no sin to be confessed. Everybody perfect, everybody just like Jesus. The world perfect, not under the weight of sin. Translated righteousness is God's perfection in everything. You may be thinking, well, if that's the standard, I'm not righteous. 
I can't live up to that. Put me in another world that's perfect, I'll screw it up pretty quick. I'm not righteous. Paul would agree with you. He told the Romans, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's why God never says that you are righteous. He says you will be righteous in Christ. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness. His righteousness has been a gift uh, given to you like a garment to wear. His righteousness covers those who believe. We aren't righteous, we're made righteous in Christ. Does that make sense? We're fallen people, but Paul says this, therefore we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Don't miss that and think somehow you're going to earn your righteousness. You see, here's what happens. The minute you become a a believer, the minute you're reborn spiritually, all of Christ's righteousness is put onto you. You have as much righteousness as you'll ever have. You have as much peace as you'll ever have. You'll have as much power as you ever have. The process of spiritual growth is not gaining new skills and talents. It's learning how to use the ones you already have. It's learning how to walk in peace in difficult circumstances. It's not that you're given more peace for those circumstances. You already have it. Spiritual growth is you realizing you have it and learning how to apply it. Does that make sense? So it's not like we spiritually grow and the better we do, the more righteousness we get. No. We already have it. We just have to experience it. It's a gift. Right now, you and I are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. His blood shed on the cross covers us, just like the blood on the door at Passover covered those who placed their faith in God. Judgment passed over because God's righteousness was covering them. Isaiah said this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with a robe of righteousness. Our righteousness is based on what Jesus did on the cross. God sees us under the covering of what Jesus did. As a result, we will spend eternity in the presence of holy, pure, loving, kind, gentle, and righteous God, and we'll be in righteous standing because of our faith in Jesus. Now, here's the deal. We're on earth, we're heavenly beings in a temporary earth suit, surrendering to the Holy Spirit that's trying to help us realize how we can live and be more like Christ. That's our journey on earth. That's our mission. To come unto earth, to wear this suit that we have for a while, to visit a place that's not our home, to take the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, righteousness that Jesus has, that he empowers us with, and to live our lives on earth, learning more and more how to express that, how to share it with other people. That's our mission. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the days of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me tell you something else I want you to think about. You will be no more righteous in heaven than you are right now. I'm not talking about your behavior. I'm talking about your nature. You don't get more righteousness. You already have it. You don't get a higher standing with God. You already have it. You don't learn how to become more godlike. It's already been given to you. You just learn how to get out of the way and let it express. You will not be more righteous in heaven than you are right now. And if you don't see yourself the way God sees you, you haven't spent enough time abiding in his mirror. As we study the scriptures, as we pray, as we abide in Christ, he replaces that image that we have of ourselves with the true image of who we really are. He shows us that what he sees in us 
he sees our potential. He sees what would happen if we actually realized who we really were. He sees how we would live differently as Christ followers if we could fully embrace who we really are in Christ. Sadly, though, many of us have not spent enough time abiding in prayer, relationship with God. Paul saw people at Ephesus who'd become lazy in their faith, and he called them out. He said this, but that's not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What he's saying is, look, that's not what you learned. You're not walking in the righteousness that you already have. You're not living as though you understand whose you really are. You're acting like everybody else. He says, look, there's two groups of people. You're either righteous in Christ or you're self-righteous. You and I are given righteousness in Christ. We have it. We have the right standing with God. We have a power within us that we can't imagine, and it's just waiting for us to express it. The problem is we don't believe it. This new world, new creation is going to be incredible because it's the dwelling place of God's perfection. Think about that. Everything perfect in Christ. Everybody perfect in Christ. So Peter says, look, if that's your destination, if that's where you're headed and you know it, if you know you're going to outlive everything you've ever seen, if you know that you're headed to a place of perfection, if you know that you're sent on earth to tell people to come with you, shouldn't that change the way you live? Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for this, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. He's saying, look, since you're waiting for that to happen, that should really change the way you live here. Interesting that he uses without spot or blemish. Paul used that. He said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Let me help you with the pronouns. As Christ loved the church, he gave himself up for her, that Christ may sanctify the church, having cleansed the church with the washing of water with the word, so that Christ may present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that the church might be holy and without blemish. Paul is telling us, Christ loved the church. Do you understand how much he loves you? Peter's quoting Paul here. He says something else. Not only are we to be without blemish, he says, I want you to understand that you have the shalom of God, the peace of God. You see, it's one thing to live on this earth without blemish. It's one thing to commit yourself to being righteous, to using what God gives you to, to grow in your faith. But he says, look, here's what's going to set you apart. You're going to have shalom. And we don't use the word shalom too much. The Jews use it a lot. They say it every time they greet somebody. They say it every time they leave somebody. Shalom means may the peace of God rest on you or stay with you. It's a beautiful word. Shalom. Peter says, look, while you're on this earth, the one thing that should separate you from everybody else is the supernatural peace that can come only from God. No matter what circumstance you're going through, no matter how hard life gets, no matter what happens on your future tomorrow, you have a peace that comes straight from the throne of God. You have his shalom. Peace. How can we be at peace? One of the ways we gain peace in this world is to realize where we're from and why we're here and where we're going. 
If God is for us, who could be against us? We can live in total peace, not because we decide to, but because Jesus gives it to us as a gift. Just like he offers righteousness, he offers peace. You already have it. You don't gain more peace. You have it. You have as much peace right now as you'll have when you're in heaven. You just aren't realizing it. You aren't making it happen. It's like you've got a whole store of these supernatural powers that you haven't even touched yet. And it's not just peace. Jesus said this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He says, look, I'm giving you my peace. You've never seen a peace like this before. This is a peace that goes over all your circumstances. This is a peace that comes from within. This is a peace that comes from the fact that you're an eternal being on mission from earth. Nothing can touch you. You're at peace. Tells him, don't be troubled or afraid. So while you wait for Jesus to return, Peter says, and in light of all you know about who you are, whose you are, why you're here, and where you're going, are you at total peace this morning? And then he says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved Paul, who wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them, of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. <laughs> I love that he put that in there. In Peter's last paragraph, he kind of does his thing towards Paul. Yeah, it's hard to understand. I'm leaving the earth and I didn't figure it out, is basically what he's saying. Note the key words here. He goes back to warn about the false teachers. Their challenge is that since God hasn't come back yet, he must be a liar and he's not coming back. And then he talks about how the false teachers twist the truth of Scripture to their own destruction. Peter, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, one of Jesus' inner three, is validating the writings of Paul as Scripture. Don't miss that. You see, in his closing Peter is summarizing what we've already been told about the false teachers. We've been learning about it since he started talking at the beginning of the letter. And then right before he closes the letter, he does something incredible and incredibly critical to us today. In his last words, Peter brings up Paul. Why? Why would he stop in the last paragraph of the last letter he writes to man and talk about this random thing of Paul and how hard his writings are to understand. Well, he did it because the Holy Spirit told him to do it. But there's something in that that's really critical. In the last words of Peter, he tells us something that we only understand if we fully comprehend all the context that we've been talking about through this entire book. Remember, it was Peter that had the dream that said it was okay to take the gospel message to the Gentiles. It was Peter who met with Paul and validated Paul's missionary journeys. Peter revealed the standard for the Gentiles to come to know Christ. They didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't have to be Jewish. That was Peter. And now Peter's dying. If anybody on the planet, had the spunk to pick up where Peter left off, it's Paul. You see, the Gnostics, we learned, were challenging Peter's authority, and he was an apostle. And he was on the mountain, and he was one of the three, and he went everywhere Jesus went, and the Gnostics were saying, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And remember, Peter had to say, wait a minute, I was on the mountain, remember? So that's how Jesus transformed. If you don't believe me, ask John. He was there too. But here's the problem. Paul wasn't. Paul wasn't. He didn't follow Jesus at all when Jesus was on earth. Paul, in fact, tried to have Jesus killed. Why is this so important? Paul wasn't one of the original 12. He actually claimed that Jesus met him 
on a road, blinded him, and then bestowed him with the office of apostle. Paul's encounter with Jesus was his self-claim to apostleship. No one witnessed it. He says, Jesus took me aside and taught me everything I'm supposed to know, and he made me an apostle. So yeah, you were an apostle because you spent time with Jesus on earth. I'm an apostle because I spent time with resurrected Jesus. Paul was essentially a self-proclaimed apostle. He said he had authority to bring the gospel message not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Everybody was initially skeptical of Paul. He had to prove his calling by repetitively being beaten and whipped and shipwrecked and all the things he talks about. So if the Gnostics and false teachers are blistering Peter, who witnessed everything, and everybody knows he witnessed everything, imagine what they're going to do to Paul and his writings. You don't have to imagine it, they're doing it today. Gnostics today say all the time we should ignore the writings of Paul and study only the four Gospels. Yet here we have Peter, one of the original 12, one who is responsible for the foundation of truth. Remember, the apostles guard the foundation of truth of the church. The one who's been warning about false teachers, and here's what he's saying. He's saying, Paul's one of us. You see, if Paul was a false teacher, the first person to point it out would have been Peter. His entire letter is about recognizing false teachers. But instead, at the end of his letter, he says, Paul's one of us. His writings are the holy word of God. His writings are truth. And before I leave this world, I need you to know that I validate and endorse Paul as one who's been with Jesus and is responsible just like I am to protect the truth. When I was studying the Pauline letters in seminary, I, I kept this verse as a screensaver, the one that says that studying Paul is really hard and who can understand it? Because I couldn't. How does Peter know all this? Have you thought about that? Peter had to have access to Paul's writings, right? Because he's read them and he goes, wow, these are hard to understand. There are some things that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You see the word? The huge word that means everything? Other. Just like they do with the other scriptures. Peter is saying Paul's writings are scripture. All of his letters, scripture. All of his letters, the holy word of God. Don't ignore them. Don't get rid of them. Why does the world want to get rid of them? Because it's Paul that talks about homosexuality. It's Paul that talks about behavior. It's Paul that talks about growth in Christ. It's Paul that talks about sacrifice. It's Paul that teaches how the church should operate. It's Paul that talks about spiritual surrender. It's Paul that talks about how we should love our wives. The world doesn't want to hear that, so the Gnostics are attacking Paul just like they attacked Peter, and Peter knew it and saw it coming. Peter, the leader of the church, in his last letters and his final thoughts, takes the time to tell everybody, Paul is a true apostle. Listen to him. His writings are for, from God, just like mine are. They are truth. They are God's truth. Gnostics sent by Satan will try to twist them because they are the true words of God. So every time somebody tries to discount the teachings of Paul, and there's a lot of people out there, I just bring them to this passage. Peter, the one who was to guard the truth, who wrote the entire letters about Gnostics, identified Paul as authentic and real. Then he ends, says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity, amen. Peter closes this letter probably in tears, probably after a great deal of prayer. My beloved, it's that word again, I've told you beforehand, don't be carried away by false teachers. Don't be carried away by the world. You're not of this world. Does that sound familiar to you? 
Peter's closing this letters, this letter with the very words of Christ. And if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I've told you all these things beforehand. Peter's reminding us what Jesus reminded him. And then Peter, after telling us to grow in our knowledge, basically says goodbye. So let's close by asking ourselves the question that Peter wants us to consider. Knowing all that we know about who we truly are in Christ, how then should we live? On the outside, at least physically, we look like everybody else. But like Superman, we carry a secret inside of us. And there's no such thing as kryptonite for believers. Our home is elsewhere. We've been sent here on a mission. A mission for good, a rescue mission to the earth. When times and circumstances get tough, we, like Superman, become transformed. And his power and his strength shine through us. His love, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his joy, all manifest through us to a hurting world. They experience the supernatural because we have come from a supernatural place. And they're drawn to it. Paul said, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? We walk this earth invincible. Clothed not in some Superman costume, but clothed in the very super God-man himself. We walk in righteousness with his power, his peace, his victory that's already guaranteed. We will outlive everything that we see. Nothing can hurt us. We're indestructible spiritual beings having a human experience. If you truly absorb that truth in your life, how would your week change this week? Would there be anything in this world that you truly believe you can't conquer? Any obstacles that you need to leap over in a single bound? God says, I'm the God of all heaven and earth. What's too hard for me? Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. More importantly, what do you say? If you and I truly realized and lived out who we really are in Christ, would you worry about anything? Would you be afraid of anything? Is there anything you wouldn't do or place you wouldn't go if God told you that was part of your mission? Do you know what I'm afraid of? What if I was Superman and I never knew it? What if I never had the faith to step out of the phone booth and actually live in the calling that's on my life? What if I spent my entire life in Christ and never lived it in Christ? Never experiencing the power and strength and peace and righteousness that he's already given to me. Carrying it around like a weight and never using it. Always trying to face the world limited to my strength and then getting to the end of my mission on earth and realizing I hadn't lived to the potential that God had placed in me. I hadn't completed the mission. I hadn't run the race well because I never believed who God said I was and I never used what he gave me to carry out his mission. How horrible it would be to have supernatural powers from another place and never use them. Not living in the victory and the eternity and the peace that Jesus died to give to us. How tragic would it be to go through your entire life as Christ followers and never experience what he actually had planned for us? You see, there's a lot in our world that can capture our attention and distract us from our mission. Fortunately, this is not our world, and it's not our mission. Our world is yet to be built. But like Jesus, we're just visiting for a while, just passing through. This world's not our home. We aren't supposed to act like it's our home. This life is not our life. This earth suit's not who we are. 
We're eternal. We're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we're sent here on a mission to share the gospel at all costs. We have his peace. We have his salvation. We are to live in it. So as you leave this week, I want you to think about that. How does my week change if I truly believed the Superman Jesus that's really in me? Let's pray. God, I thank you that your word speaks to us constantly. I thank you for this second letter from Peter that tells us so much about ourselves. We said when we started studying this book that, yeah, it's a letter written to the first century, but really it's written to us too. God, thank you for opening our eyes to false teaching. Thank you for showing us that you have a truth. Thank you for showing us who we are in Christ. God, would you help us to get out of the way? Would you help us to begin to actually live what we say we believe? Would you help us truly embrace that this is not our home and we are not from here and nothing can touch us here? We're on a mission to tell people about you, to show them your love, your peace, your kindness, your goodness. We're invincible because you are. Nothing happens in our life, in our world that you don't allow, that you're not in control of and you're not using for your purpose. So God, right now we have a world focused on a pandemic. It didn't surprise you. You're not out of control. Everything's happening exactly the way you said it would and exactly the way you decide for your purposes. Our goal here is to carry out your mission during difficult times, to use your power to help people change the world, to be peace in a place where there's no peace, to be light in a place where there's darkness, to be love in a place where there's abandonment, to be caring in a place where people have been discarded. You sent us on a mission to run towards people, to meet them where they are and to share with them the reason why we have the hope that we have. God, there are millions of people who think this is all there is. Help us, God, to show them where home really is. And then, God, would you use us to show them how to get there? We pray for all those right now who are sick. We pray for all those who are ill for those who've lost jobs, for those who've had economic issues, for those who don't know you and are walking in fear. God, would you touch every person where they are? Would you move them closer to you? Would you not waste this experience spiritually? Use it, God, to change each and every one of us into the person that you want us to be. Help God to learn that when our world gets crazy, it's not our world. And we need to look to the one person, the one place. That's really our home. We love you. We thank you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we finished the book of 2 Peter. Next week, we're going to go into 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, um, which will be another interesting letter because that letter is written by John at the end of his life almost. And he's looking back 30 years after Peter wrote, so we get to sort of see where he is in the Gnostic trail. Um, but this week, what I really want you to do is spend some time really thinking about who you are, whose you are, and why you're really here. Because it changes everything. All right? Happy buckets in the back. A uh, couple things just sort of let you know what's going on. Uh, Ed's Bible study has been canceled for a while. Um, we're going to continue to meet here until we can't. Um, cafe is going to stay open until it can't. Uh, one thing happened this week. The city uh, commissioners... Uh, visited on Friday the cafe, and we were concerned. <laughs> uh, and basically what they said was, you're the only place still open caring for the homeless. How do we help you? Right. They're going to be providing hand sanitizer. They're going to be providing help for us so that we can stay open and care for the people God told us to take care of. It's that simple. Our sermons are on live feed through Facebook. If you subscribe to the Frank Bible Truth podcast, the sermon will be available tonight. So I'm going to upload every new sermon. So if you want to listen to it, it'll be there. Um, I really want to encourage you during these times to interact with other people in the love that God gave you. Okay, let me help explain that. There are a lot of people out there that are really scared, that are really afraid. 
Okay? And they don't know the peace of God. We're not going to reach them by telling them they should know the peace of God. We're going to reach them by demonstrating that peace and letting them see that there's something in us that's from God. And then meeting them and being with them so that we can share that with them. Okay? We have rarely been in a circumstance that's going to last this long that has an opportunity to get people to begin to ask questions about God. 9-11, we had about three days. 9-11 hit for three days. People could go to church, they were asking questions, and then the window shut. This is going to go on for a while, a long while. And I believe there'll be others after it. We are here at this time to be the peace and the light that the world's looking for. We're the only witness of Christ on this planet. Okay, everywhere you go, everybody you interact with, share with them the reason why you have the hope that you have. Okay, why don't you stand up for me? As you go this week, remember that all it takes is surrender and you become God's superman. Nothing can touch you. Nothing can keep you from the mission. Live out what you know to be true and share that love with other people. Have a great week. We love you. We'll see you back next week, Lord willing. Thank you. 